This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Brent Coulter. Uh, one of the other things, because we used to like to watch boxing and different stuff like that, we would always wrestle. Um, you know, I would also wrestle with my mom, and then when I got to be a teenager, she didn't want to wrestle with me anymore. But one of the things that my dad and I would do when we'd wrestle, and then he would always resort to a certain move, and it wasn't, you know, a rear naked choke or anything or, or a knockout punch. It was taking the pillow on the bed, because we'd always wrestle on the bed. He would take the pillow, and he would hold it over my head. For, now, this is when it's in child abuse. This wasn't because I was bad. It was just, it was in the context of competition. And this was his, like, go-to move at the end. And then I would scream and yell and kick. And then, you know, he wouldn't hold it on. I wouldn't be passing out. People are, like, nervous about this whole story right now. I wasn't passing out or anything. But I would get to the point where I'd be, like, you know, really nervous, thinking he's not going to let the pillow off of my head. And then so, to bless my daughters, when we used to wrestle, I would do the same move on them. (laughs) And the same thing would happen. They would kick and scream. And uh, yeah, it was fun, fun times. All of that to say that my dad is the greatest mentor uh, in my life, the greatest human mentor. But for all of us, uh, as Christ followers, that Jesus should be our preeminent mentor, that he should be our mentor for life, that we should look to him as our Lord and Savior, um, as Jesus Christ. Now, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ means the anointed one. It means the Messiah, um, that it is a designation of who he is. It isn't his last name. It's an explanation of Jesus and his deity and um, how God has gifted him and how his, God's spirit is anointed upon him, the anointed one, that he is anointed without measure by the Holy Spirit. And so we see that in the Old Testament, we see images and types and shadows of this. You remember David, when he was anointed to be king, they would take oil and they would pour it on his head. And this was, also, this was significant for us to understand that David was chosen to be king. Jesus was chosen to be our Messiah, to be our Savior. Now, in the Old Testament, there was, uh, that we would see, there was, there was three gifts that had the anointing of the Holy Spirit on them, the prophet, priest, and king. And in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, Jesus satisfies all of these things as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the chosen one, that he is our ultimate prophet, priest, and king. Him as, as, as the prophet for our lives, that he speaks his word into our lives. He speaks into our present day living to affect our future. That him as our mentor, that we would have conversations with him, understanding what he said to people when he dealt with them and talked to them and how he mentored them. And so also he's mentoring us. He's the prophet of our lives. He speaks to our lives to affect our future. He is our ultimate priest. A uh, priest has to do with sacrifice. In the Old Testament, we would see priests would make sacrifices. And then Jesus came, and then he was the sacrifice. He is the ultimate go-between. There's uh, one man between God and man, the man, Christ, Jesus. 
that he is the ultimate priest for us, that we don't need another person now to, to say, okay, you be my priest and you pray to God on my behalf, that Jesus is our high priest, that we go to God through Jesus. He is the ultimate sacrifice for us. In other words, he has set our destiny with God forever because he is our high priest, our prophet, our priest, and our king. So a king is not like a prime minister. Uh, a king is not like a president because, uh, you know, with, within the, our political context, if we don't like uh, the leader within our nation, we have opportunity every four to five or, or maybe eight to ten years after they're elected. Uh, and then during that time when they're elected, we can just kind of, you know, secretly dislike them but then also pray for them. Um, if, the, well, you know, they're just kind of everybody else's prime minister. I don't really, I'm not really buying into this leadership um, because I don't like his politics or I don't like his or her policies, so I don't buy into that. Now, a king is not like that. A king is not somebody you can vote out. A king is not somebody you can disagree with. A, a king is not somebody you can say, well, that's just your opinion. You can stick with it. I'm going to do my own thing. That when we follow Jesus, that what we're doing is we're yielding our lives. We're submitting our lives to his kingship, to his lordship. So as we go and as we grow along in our relationship with God, we are in constant desire to be obedient to Christ. To find out what he says about every area of my life because he is my ultimate mentor. What does he say about relationships? What does he say about finances? What does he say about forgiveness? Uh, what, as it comes to the promises of God, what does he say about healing? What does he say about wisdom for my life? And then all of these things, we're looking to be obedient, to line up with our king, with our leader, not just our prime minister, not somebody that we can vote out. Jesus is never getting vote out, voted out as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It is his rightful place forever. And what it's incumbent upon us to do is to obey, to learn to obey. So as we look at this series, as we are thinking about the words of Jesus and these conversations that we're having with Jesus, that we want to see all of these areas that he's speaking into our lives to affect our future and that he is the ultimate sacrifice for us. He is our priest and then he is our king. So as we look at these words, as we look at his sayings, as we understand who he is, that we see him in this place. That we can't just think of Jesus as a really good teacher. He is a really good teacher. His teaching is amazing. If you go through the scripture and see what he taught in the Gospels. And I always recommend this uh, as part of your constant Bible reading. Is read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, those are the four Gospel accounts. Uh, you know, the Greco-Roman biographies that we have of Jesus' life and ministry. And within those four Gospel accounts, we can hear Jesus' teaching. So I always say, as you're reading, you know, it's good to read in Proverbs, it's good to read in Psalms, it's good to read through the, the prophets and the law in the Old Testament, it's good to read through the epistles in the New Testament, the letters to the church, but to keep going back through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and see these conversations that Jesus had with people, so that we can put ourselves in those conversations, that we can put ourselves in that face-to-face -face place with Jesus, hearing what he's saying, seeing what he's asking us to do, finding places for us to obey him. Let's turn our Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 says this. 
If your kids aren't used to the pillow fighting technique, I don't recommend that you introduce it. Um, at an older age, you'll kind of scare them. You've got, you got to start young with these things, all right? Some good parenting advice for you today. Hebrews chapter 1. It was a joke, people. It was just a joke. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says this, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created, created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited in more excellent than theirs. Now, I've got all these three things underlined here, this prophet, priest, and king. Verse 2 said, he has spoken to us by his son. Prophet speaks, that's what he does, prophet. And then purification for our sins, that would be something that the, in the Old Testament the priest would have done, but now under Jesus he is our priest. And then majesty on high in reference to his kingship. So in the old days or in the old times or in the Old Testament, he would, spoke, he would speak to us by our fathers and by the prophets. But now the greatest understanding we have about God's word, about God's will, about who God is, is through Jesus. He is the definitive picture of God. And in these conversations that we will see about Jesus, he uses uh, different methods. He, sometimes he answers questions. Sometimes he uses parables. Sometimes he is very direct in his answers. And he would teach long sermons. And then people would ask him questions. And then he would ask questions back. And he would, he would try to get people to think, not always say, this is the thing. He would ask them a question to get them to think. He would correct them. And then sometimes... He would rebuke them. And we should expect no less in our relationship with Jesus to have all of these things that we, as we are in conversations with Jesus, as we are spending time with God's word, that we should think and see all these things in our own uh, mentorship relationship with Jesus. Let's turn over to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And here in this portion of scripture, um, we see Jesus after he is resurrected he is teaching his disciples, and his disciples say something very interesting about um, his explanation of the scriptures. It says this in verse 27 of Luke 24. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So let's read that again. He interpreted in them all of the scriptures... The things concerning themselves. So they drew near to the village to where they were going. And he acted as if they were going further. But he urged them strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward the evening. And the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? So right back at the beginning, it says he, he took Moses and the prophets and he explained to them, through the Old Testament scriptures, everything concerning himself, that the whole story arc of the scripture is pointing to Jesus. 
the narrative of the scripture, all of the images, all of the um, Abraham and Moses and David, these are all these people in the Old Testament. They're types and shadows that are pointing us to Jesus, the coming Messiah. They were all imperfect prophet, priests, and kings. And so all of these images that we would see in the Old Testament, all of these characters, uh, Samson, all of these Bible characters that we can think about, they all have a measure of things that are, are similar to Jesus, but they all come up short in their humanity. But they're all pointing, the whole narrative of Scripture is pointing to Jesus. Jesus said he took the Scripture and he taught them about himself. He said, hey, you read this, this is actually about me. If you read this, you read this story, this is actually pointing to me. And then they said about his teaching, as, and they said about this conversation that they were having with them. He's, verse 32, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures, that our hearts burned within us. That what he said, uh, reading the Old Testament prophets, reading the Old Testament about the characters of the Old Testament, about himself, as they read the scriptures, that your hearts burned, that there was something important in what he said. And this is the way we need to think about our mentorship from Jesus. And once again, it's not, it's not someone that we're going to be voting out in a few years. It's not something that we're just sort of taking under advisement. That Jesus, arguably, is the most influential, influential person in history. And it's incumbent upon all of us to look at the life of Jesus. If we're a longtime follower of Jesus, it's, it's good for us to go back and give Jesus that place and ask ourselves, do we read the Gospels and do our hearts burn within us? Do we read the words of Jesus... And, and, and let it affect our lives. Let him be the prophet, priest, and king of our lives. Do we see these interactions when we're reading the red letters in the Gospels and we take it seriously? And then also maybe if you're in here today, you're not a follower of Jesus. It's incumbent upon you to look at the life of Jesus. To look at the historicity of Jesus' life and his resurrection. It is meaningful. It is powerful. And if you've got a bunch of questions about following Jesus, there's great answers out there. Find somebody who's a little further on than you in faith and have discussions. There's answers for the questions that you have. But it's good for all of us to find uh, scriptures and to dig into the scriptures. And like the apostles, like the disciples here, that as we read the word of God, that our hearts would burn within us. Mark, sorry, John chapter 5, verse 39. He says to the Pharisees, he says, you search the scriptures because you think in them that you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me and you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So the Pharisees, the, the word people of their day, the, the religious legalists of their day, they, some of them had the Bible memorized, the Bible of their time memorized, the first five books of the scripture. They would have it memorized. They'd be able to recite it. And they, would, they had the word of God in their hearts a lot of times so that they could enforce laws on other people. It wasn't something necessarily that they were trying to live out or to have uh, something in their hearts so they could understand God's promises. They were trying to enforce laws on other people. But what Jesus is saying about the scripture, he says, you've searched the scriptures. You sort of got your head down in the scripture. But the scripture is speaking of me. 
So we search the scripture so that we can have a relationship with Jesus. We should know and memorize the scripture so that we can, in our hearts, in our, in our minds, be having a conversation with Jesus. Because the scripture is telling us and Jesus is telling us the whole narrative of scripture is about him. Pointing to him, his death, burial, and resurrection, and then his mentorship of us as individual Christ followers. That we would look to the word of God to be mentored and to be changed. So let's look at one of these parables today that Jesus uh, talked about and, and that he discussed with his disciples. We can find it here in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 in verse 10. And this is one of these times where Jesus was, uh, you know, preaching and teaching publicly and his disciples were there. And, you know, as Jesus was preaching and teaching, they were sitting there and they were nodding their head and they were whispering to each other, do you understand that? And they're like, no, I don't understand it, but just face front and nod your head. We're the disciples, you know. We're supposed to understand what he's saying, but I don't know what he's saying. I know. We'll ask him later. Don't worry about it. So he would do these big, long sermons, and then afterwards, they were like, Jesus, we don't get it. We don't understand what you're saying. And these are the people, these were the 11 people that were left. These were the people that were charged with starting the church. It's a miracle that we have the church today, this group of people uh, that just didn't understand what Jesus is saying. And it would have been true of us as well. They were all very young people. Um... And so they didn't understand a lot of things, but they're listening to Jesus' teaching. And then they asked him later, explain this to us. Verse 10 says this. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. And he says this, so that they indeed may not... Uh, perceive they may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven verse 13 and he said to them do you not understand this parable how then will you understand all parables so all of the teaching of jesus as it relates to parables jesus is saying this parable explains all of those parables and it, what the parable was, it was the parable of the sower who's sowing the seed. And, and as he was sowing the seed, it landed on four different types of ground. And some of it worked and some of it didn't. And so they didn't understand what he was talking about. So they're asking him now privately, when all the crowd is gone, those closest to him, explain this thing to us, Jesus. Explain this. And this wasn't just any old parable. He's saying, if we understand this parable, we'll understand about the inner workings of the kingdom of God. How God's kingdom works for us in our lives and how we're going to have the kingdom of God flourishing in our lives. Verse 14, so he starts to explain the parable. He says this, the sower sows the word. So in other words, this farmer or this person who's planting the seed is sowing and the seed is actually words. He's sowing words. Verse 15, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Now, what word are we talking about? The word of God. And we know from the scripture that Jesus was the word made flesh, right? And all of the word of God points to Jesus. 
So what are words? It's kind of a, a, a simple thought. But what are words? Words are thought containers. Thought containers. When we express words to somebody, we're expressing some thoughts here. I'm thinking something of something I want you to do, something I want you to understand. And the same way with God's word. When God's word comes to us, they are God's thought containers. God has something to say about every area of our life. Jesus, as our mentor, as our leader, as our king, as our prophet, as our priest, has something to say about every area of our lives. And he is sowing his word into our lives. But what's happening with the word that's sown into us? The the word that's God's word. That it's his word that never changes. That it's his word that is immutable. In other words, you can't argue with it. That his word is forever settled in heaven. Right? Powerful. God's word is powerful. Now, he's, he's not disputing as he's talking about all these seeds that are sown. He's never disputing at any point that some of the words are more powerful and less of the words. Some of the other words aren't that powerful. That the word is powerful. It's strong, but he's talking now about the soil of people's hearts. The soil of people's hearts. Now, how is the soil of your heart as it relates to the words that you hear? Let's think about that for a second. Now, it all depends on the source, right? Isn't the source really important? You know, within our um, supposed... um, unbiased media world that we live in. Do you understand that there's no such thing as an unbiased media report? We're all aware of this, right? So it doesn't matter which channel that you choose to watch, that it's all filtered through a person, right? And a a person has thoughts and opinions, and their their thoughts and opinions are going to get into that word that's expressed to us. And then so somebody that maybe we like or somebody that we dislike, when, when they're speaking words to us, we might be very receptive to those words, right? And we might have good ground to hear what they say. And then you have uh, other people that they say, and you're like, no, not believing any of it. I don't believe a word that you say. Kind of like teenagers. <laughs> that if you, if you ever have the joy of parenting a teenager. Not my teenagers. My teenager, my one teenager, soon to be two, is perfect. So not mine. I'm not talking about my daughter. But sometimes a teenager, not my teenager, just, you know, just a random teenager in life will come to you with something that one of their friends has said, this tremendous life revelation. And you're like, I told you that last week. Why weren't they listening? Somehow the seed of the word that came out of my mouth was not good ground for them. Anyway, not my daughter, though. Okay, just other people's other people's daughters. So, and now let's think about this for a second. So what about God's word? Do we esteem God's word? I think God's word should be the most important thing for us. Right? But, but he's saying something about the soil of our heart, the soil of our life. When God's word comes our way, what's going to happen to this word? This word that's powerful, this word that's unchanging, this word that is forever settled in heaven. In essence, he, Jesus is going to be telling us here in a, in, a, 
in a second that our heart is really, really important about how that seed is going to flourish in our lives. And in one sense, in one sense, it's actually more important than how powerful the word is because Jesus can be speaking powerful words to us, but if we're not open to it, it's just going to bounce on, off. It's not going to find any place to take root in our lives, right? The seed of our heart is very important. Verse 15, these are the ones sown along the path where the word is sown. They hear it. Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that was sown. So did that word, that word, that container from God, that thought container from God, did it help that person when that word was just immediately stolen from their heart? No, it it had no benefit to them. Verse 16, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. Oh, that was so good. Verse 17, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Everybody say for a while. And that's true of some people, how they follow Jesus. They just follow for a while. They take his word for a while. They're obedient for a while. And then, and then what happens? Tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word. Immediately, they fall away. And all of us, if we've followed Jesus for any length of time, we've seen people like that. Something's happened in their lives and they just fall away. Does that mean the word of God wasn't powerful? Does that mean they didn't read Bible verses? Does that mean they didn't hear good preaching? No, the the seed, the soil of their heart made a big difference. Verse 8. And others on the one sown among thorns. They are those that hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. Choke. The word gets choked. Because of what? Cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. They come in and they choke the word and it proves unfruitful. The word that's powerful, the word that's unchanging, somehow uh, becomes muted in our lives because of the condition of our heart. But here, verse 20, now listen. This is where we all want to be. And this is where we all, as we're having conversations with Jesus... This is what we need to think about. Verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil. Everybody say, I want to be good soil. Come on, a little bit louder. I want to be good soil for Jesus' words. Man, that should be our desire. As followers of Jesus, Christians, that's what Christian means, follower of Jesus. That we should want to be good soil for what he says. That he is our prophet, priest, our king. We should be desiring to hear what he says to us. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it. Accept it. That's an important step. We hear it and then we accept it. We say, yes, Lord. And if there's certain areas of my thinking that are opposite to his thinking... Whose thinking needs to change, mine or God's? Okay, that was weak. <laughs> yeah, but you don't know my thoughts, Pastor Brent. God didn't think of this. You know, God did, I went to university and I had some great thoughts and God didn't think of these thoughts. 
And so, you know, I can, I can just give some God, I give God, I'm going to give him a little advice. If there's areas in our lives where we're going a certain way and we read something in the scripture, we read something from God's word and it opposes us and it opposes our thinking. As disciples, as followers of Jesus, this is what we need to do. We need to hear God's word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. That the purpose of God's word in our lives is what? It's fruitfulness. That God wants to bear fruit in our lives. He wants his fruit in our lives. He wants our lives, relationships. He wants our lives in the area of finances. He wants our lives in the areas of career and business. He wants our lives to flourish, to grow, to be profitable. That's why he's sowing his word into our lives. But the ground is so important. Are we hearing it and accepting it? Being glad about what he says to us so that we can have it planted in our hearts and that we can be living it out. That's what we see about Jesus. The word became flesh. And this is what God wants to happen with us in our mentorship from Jesus. He wants his word to become flesh in us. That we would now enflesh the word of God. That we would be living out the word of God. Living examples of what God says, accepting what he says, bearing fruit in all of these areas. The chapter continues in verse 24. And he can't think of anything better, so he just keeps explaining about the seed. Verse, uh, sorry, verse 26 of the same chapter. And he said, the kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises day and night and the seed sprout grows and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. God wants a harvest in your life. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed. He can't get away from it. He just spent the whole chapter of talking about seeds and ground. He said, well, what's the ground like? Well, it's like seed. And then he says, and then he keeps getting, it's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds of the earth. Yet when it was sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nets, nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them. As they were able to hear it, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So what is the word of God like? The word of God is like when we sow it and we scatter seed. We scatter seed and then it grows up and then scripture says, well, we don't actually know how. But it grows up and it's going to be gradual and it's going to be this way and it's going to grow a little bit more and then there's going to be a harvest in there. And it's going to grow and it's going to change us. It's going to grow a little bit, but then how is it working? Well, I don't know that, I don't know exactly how that it's working, but it's working. The seed of the word of God planted in our hearts is working. And this is something from personal testimony. I can tell you it's true about a relationship with God. Seed that is sown 
over a long period of time. When you Sometimes when we look in the Word of God, you, you read it, and we're like the disciples. You're like, I don't get it. So confusing. I don't get it. I'm going to skip that chapter next time. Because I just don't get it. So con- I just so hard to understand. And then five years goes by, and ten years goes by, and you get to that same chapter, and you read it, and the light comes on. The harvest is there. But it's sowing the seed. It's sowing the seed. It's allowing yourself to be in conversations with Jesus. Allowing yourself to be mentored by him. By your prophet. Your priest. And your king. Sowing his word into our hearts. And it grows over time. And sometimes it's growing quietly. And silently. And you invest it, and you invest it. You know, we just, we just went to uh, a youth conference uh, a couple weeks ago. We, I went down uh, with some of our youth leaders, and, you know, I took my daughter down with us, and we just had a great time. And, you know, I did youth ministry for over 12 years, and so I just, I love youth ministry. I love to get in a, a room with a bunch of teenagers worshiping God. And one of the leadership sessions talked about youth ministry, and, and uh, I know this from experience. I know that my dad taught me this as well. But youth ministry, in one sense, is one of the most thankless ministries out there. Um, you know, students from a week-to-week basis are not coming to say thank you uh, for investing in them and, and time-wise. Um, but as a youth pastor, you know, investing in students over a long period of time, you don't necessarily see something overnight. You don't see that harvest and you, oh... You can put in the sickle and, uh, you know, some Wednesday you basically, in youth ministry is like this. Some Wednesday you just want to kill every student that comes and you just want to quit. This is how youth ministry is like because, you know, they're sitting there. And now it's worse because they're like phone. And you like preaching your heart out. And you're like sowing the seed of the word of God and they're just staring at you, you, you know, and they don't care anything and you don't see anything immediately. But I know for me, the investment, uh, you know, in, in the students that I've seen over years that, you know, ended up, you know, just going on in life and doing great things. And, I, you know, I'm hopeful that I had a part of that. But as I mentioned the other week, you know, at our, our kids meeting, you know, our, our main operations team here at church, uh, you know, with Alan, our worship leader, uh, you know, John, our youth pastor, and Kristen, um, our city kids director, all three of those main operations people were all in my and Nicole's youth group. But I want to tell you that these kids were not the greatest kids. <laughs> Looking at them at any given week in their teenage life. Maybe like, <laughs> ignoring me, yeah, Pastor Brent, whatever. But the seed of the word of God was going into their hearts. Amen. And over a period of time, sometimes longer than we would expect, longer than we would want. But then God's word produces a harvest in us. So if you're like, oh, Bible reading, I don't want to do Bible reading, I'm not, but keep planting the seed, keep planting the seed, keep planting the seed. Your relationship with God grows and it changes you. John chapter 6, we're almost done. John chapter 6. <clears throat> the 
this one here, right, used to scowl at me in youth group. <laughs> but now I'm her boss and I can tell her what to do. Woo! <laughs> She used to come to youth group (laughs) when she was 12 in like a ponytail and a Raptors jersey. And she thought she was the coolest thing out there. (laughs) But you have to play keys for me right now. Lovingly back here. John chapter 6. Here's one of these times in this chapter where uh, Jesus, as a mentor to the disciples, he said some things that was very confusing for them. And so confusing that some people actually stopped following Jesus after they heard what he said. And he he was talking about, unless you uh, eat my flesh and drink my blood, you know, you won't have any part of me. And a lot of people are like, what is he talking about? Cannibalism. We don't understand this. Uh, You know, we're good Jewish boys and girls. We're not eating flesh or drinking any blood. We don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. It's so confusing for us. It continues on, though, here in John chapter 6, verse 60. When many disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Listen, verse 63. And this is the key to the whole thing about eating the flesh and drinking the blood. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So Jesus was using a metaphor. He was using an analogy. In other words, that the words that God speaks to us go down into our heart, go down into our spirit. It's not a flesh thing that's going on. I'm not talking about actually taking a bite of my flesh and drinking my actual blood. It's that his word, that we would think of God's word, that we would be taking it in, that it would be nourishing us. That it would be nourishing our spirits. It would be nourishing our lives. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. They're not religion. I'm not speaking to you about religion. I'm not wanting you to join another religion. I'm speaking to you about your life. The things that I'm, the seeds that I'm sowing into you. I want to produce a harvest in your life. All of the areas that we feel like we don't have a harvest and I'm not flourishing, God wants to plant the seed of the word of God in your heart so that it will grow up and that we will grow up and it will produce a harvest in us. Where is that harvest coming from? It's coming from God's thought containers, his word, his plan for your life, his will for your life. That we would take it in. And we would take it in. We would take in what he's saying to us. It would nourish our spirits. It would nourish our lives. Desiring God's word. His words are spirit. And they are life. Last thing. Hebrews chapter 4. 
verse 12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is living and active. How does the word of God become living and active? Is it just the ink on the page? Or just the pixels on my screen? Is that where it's living and active? It's living and active when the seed, the eternal seed of God's word gets planted in my heart, gets planted in, in my spirit and grows up. I don't, I don't know how. I don't know how that it grows. We don't necessarily see some big change overnight. But when I plant the seed of the word of God in my heart, it grows and it grows and it grows. It's living and it's active. It's living and it's active. The words that I speak to you, Jesus said, they are spirit and they are life. So what are we, what are we needing in our lives from our prophet, our priest, and our king, Jesus? Where are we at that we aren't flourishing and we don't see a harvest? Let's allow Jesus to be our mentor. Let's be his protege so that we can grow up and have the seed of God's word producing in our lives. Let's just pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word today. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.